Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I am super excited for today's episode to have Sid Garza-Hillman on the podcast today. Sid is such a cool guy. He's a certified nutritionist, health coach, and the staff nutritionist and programs director at the Stanford Inn, an eco-resort in California. He's an easygoing guy with an easygoing style and fresh approach to health, happiness, and well-being, and he's just way cool. I discovered him through the Rich Roll podcast, and then I whipped through his cool little book, Approaching the Natural, a Health Manifesto, and it's a way cool book where he takes some health principles and really takes his own original philosophy on nutrition, movement, the mind, the body, the family, the whole thing, and really brings it together in a really easy to understand great way. And so I want to read a little bit from the book that really stuck out to me. And it's funny because this is actually on page one, but I really liked the the introduction of this book. So I'm just going to read a little bit. A few years ago, I had an idea for a diet book. It was to be about 200 pages long, and on the cover be incredible claims like the diet to end all diets and 100% guaranteed weight loss. Upon opening the book, the reader would find the following instructions on the very first page. Number one, eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and beans. Number two, drink clean water when you are thirsty. Number three, Exercise every day. The remaining pages would be blank. I thought that was hilarious and funny and just such an awesome way to start a book. So that isn't the book he wrote. Instead, he wrote this pocket-sized, really awesome book that really guides you through and advocates transitioning to health and happiness through a plant-based, whole foods diet, movement, mindfulness, connection to the earth, And so many cool, um, really simple approaches in this book that was really, really fun to read. So I really hope we can kind of target all of that today. So thank you so much for being here, Sid. Thank you for having me. That was an awesome intro. Yeah. Well, okay, cool. So I really want to get into you and your background and just kind of ask you all the stuff that I'm curious about. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about design with you for a quick second. Okay. So um, I love the design of your book, and I heard you say on the Rich Roll podcast that you modeled the design of it after the Communist Manifesto, which I just think is like super rad, so that's cool. And you're really into letterpress, and you have a love of design, as do I, and um, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about maybe how you got into that, and then also the connection between wellness and good design. And I think, um, I believe that aesthetics and health are pretty connected and I would kind of love your thoughts, even though in a lot of places they they seem really disconnected, but, um, I'd love your kind of thoughts on, on that. Um, totally. I, that's when we said design, I thought you were going to talk about like the design of the human, which I was like, all right, ready to go. And then you, <laughs> threw, me, you, you threw me that curveball, which I, I freaking love that about you. Anyway, um, well, well, I, I, I can't take credit for the design of the book in terms of the size of, uh, of the book compared to the manifesto. That was actually my publisher's idea. He had, the, um, the, he had a, literally a reissue of the Communist Manifesto on his desk and when we were talking about maybe the way that the book was going to be presented. And so he said, you know, what if we, it is a manifesto, so what if we, you know, what do you think about this? And he actually sent me a picture of the book with his hand next to it so I could sort of get a sense of the sizing and all this kind of stuff. And I said, that's great because I really wanted it to be something people could literally, you know, put in their pocket. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is sized that way. 
Um, the type is kept small so that the book doesn't get too thick. And, um, and that was the thing. So I, my, my sister has been a graphic designer for 20 years and my wife, um, also, so they're partners in their design for my sister's the one who designed the book itself, uh, the cover and the typeface and all those kinds of things she, she took on. Um, I just, because I've just been around that for so long, I, I, you know the old adage, "Don't judge a book by its cover." I, yeah. I kind of, I kind of like partially judge a book by its cover, and I'll tell, <laughs> and, I'll t- and, I, and I'll tell you why. It's because I sort of feel like I sort of feel like if somebody takes the time to make what they put in the world look beautiful, even if it's to them, then that that imparts a, a, a caring and a and an attention that I appreciate. And so, I guess the way that I would say it links to health is it, it is the way that you present yourself in the world, and I think that there's validity to that. I don't think it needs to be you know thrown thrown out. So I do get comments about how beautiful the, the book looks, and I think that that's a a good way to begin the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, and and I love what you said there about um, not judging a book by its cover, but but yeah, I mean I I think it's it's something that's important, and there's a lot of like great books and great websites and with that have really great information but it's not presented in a user-friendly way and that great information gets lost so I think it's kind of the obligation of the person presenting that information to put it out in a way that they're marketing it so it will be shared you know it's kind of part of the obligation of the the master to who thought of the information to get it shared you know I, I completely agree. I mean, I go to websites, obviously, that we all do all the time, and it, it does make a difference when when websites are pleasing to the eye and very well-designed and user-friendly and, and intuitive and all those kinds of things make the experience better, and, and it definitely makes a difference to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, cool. So, now let's let's dive into you. So, you live in your own version of the wellness wonderland these days, and you're obviously super passionate about health and nutrition now, but I would love to zoom the lens back a bit and kind of start from the beginning with you. So, were you raised in this way, and could you talk a little bit about how you started your path on this journey? Sure. Um, in short answer, no, I was not raised this way, and um, and I basically came to it in sort in sort of a natural progression. But I, I mean, I wasn't raised unhealthy per se, but but you know, I, my parent, my dad exercised and things like that, and I think they did basically the best they could with the knowledge that they had. Um, when I was born, I had um, some skin issues, uh, eczema, and my mom, um, I think she was advised by a doctor or something, removed me from dairy. And my eczema went away. And at some point later on, she reintroduced it, um, probably at the advice of a, of a doctor. I should probably ask her about that. But she reintroduced it probably because they said, well, he's probably over the allergy now. And my eczema did not come back. However, I had tons of allergies as a kid. And I was like the fast, you know, normal fast food kid and all that kind of stuff. We had, you know, healthier versions of certain things in the house. Like we didn't have sugar cereals. We had like, you know, Cheerios, like that kind of thing. And, and, but I was still just, you know, like a just normal guy. High school, we'd go to McDonald's and, you know, all kind of stuff. When I graduated from college, I was still, well, so asthma was kind of my main thing. And when I graduated from college, um, I was an indie rock musician and, and an actor. And I had asthma still, chronic asthma, and I would carry in my inhaler and everything like that. And a friend of mine, actually a guy that I worked for in college, an actor, gave me Fit for Life, which is a diet book in, out of, I think it was published in 1982. And I removed dairy again at that point, and my asthma went away. And that was when, you know, at 21, 22, I was like, what is going on here? You know, and really sparked my interest in, in nutrition and the power of that food has over our health because my asthma within a month was gone and I haven't had it since. It's been over 20 years. So that, that began my, my trek and just, you know, reading and reading, even though I was doing other things in my life, just reading book after book after book. And then years later, you know, I found myself up here through a whole different kind of stuff and, and I decided to go back to school and become a nutritionist because it was something I really was passionate about. Nice. So what was the major turning point for you, would you say? Um, was it the healing your asthma? For sure. I mean, it was the most concrete. I mean, it had, as, like I said, asthma, but also other allergies and um, just not having asthma and, and making 
really noticing that stark difference, you know, like one day having asthma and one day not. It was something subtle about it, you know, and, and I liked, I was like, that this is pretty cool. And I'm a, I'm a runner, you know, not like a competitive runner, but just sort of enjoyment. And that really fed into my quality of life, not having asthma. I mean, it just made me feel better every day. And that's what began my thinking on this whole, on this whole trek. Yeah. Cool. And we can just, just let me know if you want to recall again. We can just do, keep doing it, and you can link it up later. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Sure. Cool. So, um, all right. I'm recording again. Sweet. So when did you know that you wanted to take this path and journey you were on, and you're, now you're so passionate about it, and turn it into a career? Well, we, we, by the time we moved out, out of Los Angeles, um, it was about 2006, and I had just really gotten honestly burnt on the whole acting uh, thing. I wasn't getting as much work as I was getting before, and I was still playing music, but I was kind of burnt on that whole L.A. scene anyway. And so we decided to get out of Dodge and, and move up to this little town. And just by chance, I discovered Stanford Inn, which is an eco-resort up here. And I just fell in love with it and got to know the owner and, and started to work there. And just my passion for nutrition and health had continued, and it was just in the environment of that eco-resort that I thought this would be really cool to teach nutrition here. And I kind of pitched the idea to the owners, and they said, great. And I, so I went back to school and, and got certified as a nutritionist. That's way cool. So I didn't know that you really created that position for yourself. I kind of thought it was something that was already in place there, but the, the resort didn't even have one. You were the first one. Pretty much. I mean, they had a, a, a wellness center, kind of, you know, they had yoga, massage and, you know, Tai Chi and Chinese herbal and things like that. But it wasn't concrete. They didn't have a nutrition program. Um, and then about two years after that, um, the owners asked me to come back and really head up the wellness center and make it a, a, a real kind of, a, you know, branded uh, entity. And so that's, that's how that's, it's called the Mendocino Center for Living Well. So that's, that's how that has, has become. And I'm the staff nutritionist there. Oh, that's so cool. I want to come and hang out you, and live. You it should. Sounds, <laughs> it sounds you like should. a wellness wonderland over there. <laughs> it, is a well, it is truly a wellness wonderland. It is pretty amazing. And people come through there and they just can't believe they don't want to leave. So it, it is amazing. So cool. So what advice do you have then for people who want to follow their passion and, you know, shifting away from that security and safety safety net of the traditional full time job because that that can be really tough, you know. Well, for me, um, I in nineteen when I graduated from college, I like I said, I was an indie rock musician and and I actually hadn't started acting yet. So I took a job. At, I graduated from UCLA and took a job at the audiovisual department after I graduated, and there and there I worked. And it was a full-time job, and it was in the public sector, and I was able to do my music and all this kind of stuff. And just by chance, I ended up hooking up with a, an agent, a guy who had come to my music shows, gave my photo to his agent, thought he, that I'd be good in, in commercials and stuff. And so they signed me, and I just started going out on auditions, and, and I started getting work. But I was still working full-time and had this very safe job, and that's how I was raised. Like, I didn't have – I was – I am not – well, anyway, was not of that mind of kind of – you know, going out there. I, I just thought, well, let me have a good basis of safety kind of thing. And I started getting work. And I, I remember when I quit that job, I had about three months worth of income in my bank. Like I could survive for three months. But I just, for some reason, just took this leap. And it was so uncharacteristic of me. I, I still to this day to look back. I cannot believe that I did that. Um, but I quit and I was like, I'm just going to give this a shot. And I figured worst case scenario, I'll have to go back and get another job. But 10 years later, I'm still working as an actor. But it was totally um, not in the safety zone for me. So for anybody, you know, it is a leap of faith. It is. But it truly, and this is really why the book is focused on health, but not just health, but, um, but happiness too, um, is that it has to be what something you love and something you want to do with your life. I mean, it really is about your quality of life. And my quality of life at the time, it, was, it wasn't really a choice. I mean, it was a hard choice, but I knew the choice I had to make. It wasn't like, should I you know, stay or not? It was just like clear. And then it was just getting over the fear of, of making the choice that I had already made. Yeah, yeah. I think you said something or um, when you were talking with Ritual, that was really profound to me that I remember now that... Um, I think you said sometimes the 
indecision is more discomforting than actually like making the decision you don't want to make. You know, you got to just, you knew, knew exactly what you needed to do. You just needed to do it. I think in most, I, I honestly have come to believe that in most situations, there really isn't a choice. I think if you really apply thought and can get through the fear and obligation and all these kinds of things that play into our daily lives, if you can sort of wade through that, usually the decision is right there. It's really not even that much of a choice. You, you know, if you're kind of like, should I break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend or should I not? I most cases you've already made that decision and then there's just the pain of doing it is is keeping you from actually making that decision but it's already in your head it's already made on some level yeah oh that's so profound like wow that's yeah no that's that's so good and it reminds me my my mentor gabrielle bernstein does this thing what it's like called the coin test and you decide Heads is one decision, tails is the other decision, and you flip the coin, and whatever you get, you look at that decision, and if you automatically were like, eek, I don't want to do that, then you know, or if you're like, okay, that was what I wanted, then it'll tell you right right then how you were feeling about it, and it's funny, you know, that, that like you said, the decision's already made in your head, it's following that intuition, that voice, you know, you know, it's, it's just remembering to follow it, even when it can be scary. Yeah, and what's funny is I totally do that coin thing. I don't know who invented that, but I, I absolutely do that, especially with people who are like, I don't know whether to do this or do that. I go, hold on, here, I'll flip a coin. Heads you do it, tails you don't. And then I do it, I go, how do you feel? And it, it's true, like, it is, it is there, it's there. And you've got to get past the, the stuff that blocks you from making the choices that make you happy. And, and that's, a, that's an appropriate um, action. And I argue that in the book, that being happy is natural to us. And it's an appropriate decision to make that if it's, if it's something that makes you happy, it's, a, it's, a, it's the right thing to do. Mm, yes, absolutely. So, all right, well, I want to get up to the present now with you. So what does health look like for you today? Let's really get into it. Maybe talk about um, your daily food and exercise routine. Maybe you can even just kind of walk us through of all the things you've tried, just because knowing we are all so different and you know, specific different things work better for some of us. And um, just kind of walk us through what you have found is working for you currently. So, well, a couple of things come to mind when, when that question comes up because um, it really is what works for each person. And I don't, I, as a nutritionist, I actually don't think there's a lot of variance in terms of what's healthy for the human body. I actually argue that there's pretty much the same kind of stuff is healthy for all humans. We're genetically, you know, so similar. But in the modern world, um, it's really what makes you healthy but and happy. Because I could hand you a diet and say, follow this, but it's not going to make you happy because it's stressful, because it turns your whole life upside down and all that kind of stuff. So when I speak to what I do every day, that's just where I've come to in my own life and what makes me happy. I'm doing things that probably people would go, my God, that's totally extreme and nutty. For me, it's, the, it's where I'm at in my progression of experimenting with things and finding things that work for me in my own life. But it doesn't mean that I have completely new, different nutritional needs than you do. It just means I'm at this place where it works for me. With my clients, I'm like, if you start out with a glass of water and that's what you can do, then you should do that. And that's where you're at and that's what you're ready for. And then we can build from there. Um, and then as long as you're happy, if the process becomes stressful to you, then that's not healthy. So, um, you know, I've met tons of people who eat really well who are really stressful, re- stressed out and not happy. And to me, the, you asked me what the, my picture of health is. It's, it's a somebody who's healthy and happy and somebody who's happy and healthy. And so it's that broad picture. So for me, you know, these days I'm eating a lot more simply. I'm training for my first marathon. Um, I'm eating a ton of fruit every day. I'm eating big salads most of the time. You know, and again, most of the time is a big one for me because people get kind of, they can easily go over that little hill and become a little obsessive about things. So I try to make it about quality of life always because if it's just about a diet, you'll, again, you can get a little uh, too hooked into something and, and it's not, and it, and it ruins your life. And so that's always kind of the end of the day. So that's basically what I'm doing. I run um, four or five days a week. I'm taking it easy during the week. I'm running long ones on the weekends because I'm in training. Uh, my marathon's in two weeks. Nice. Um, you, usually, you know, when I'm busy, I got three kids. Sometimes I'm just on the trampoline in my living room for 15 minutes. You know, I do what I can in a way that 
preserves all the other things that I enjoy doing in my life, like spending time with my family and, and doing work that I do. So it's all for me a balancing act of, of making yeah. sure that I, you know, that I'm hitting everything I want to. Yeah, I love that you said, brought up the trampoline because that was actually one of my favorite parts um, of the book, which is funny. I, I don't even know if it's like a real part of the book, but when you um, in the back of the resources when you're talking about the rebounder and the trampoline and how you said in there that sometimes you know you and your wife are really busy, like to get your exercise in. Sometimes it's just 15 minutes on the rebounder on the trampoline. And I, that literally, like, it's highlighted in my book. I'm looking at it right now. And it's, it's like, one of my favorite parts of the book because as a kid, um, I had a trampoline outside. And, and my mom always tells the story. I would go out there with my little radio and I would just jump on the trampoline for, like, hours and hours nice. and hours. And I just loved it. It was my thing. And it's so funny, you know, I, I heard recently, like, the things you like to do when you were, like, five are really the things that you should do more of now. And it's, for me, I love just like jumping on the trampoline. And I used to really allow exercise to kind of stress me out. Like if I couldn't make it to a yoga class or I didn't get my workout in in the morning, like I would just, you know, be all stressed about that. And that's not the point. The whole reason you do it is to, to feel good and feel, you know, and just not being so hard on yourself. So I think um, I love that approach to exercise and right now you're training for a marathon and that's great but just the fact that you said you know not being too dogmatic about anything and just letting things work I think is really cool so talking more a little bit about exercise then while we're kind of on the topic um, something else I loved that you spoke about in um, the ritual podcast again I keep mentioning that but um, you talked about your wife how she wasn't a runner and just one day decided she was going to run to get the mail. And that's how she got started. And I just thought that was amazing um, that someone could get started in that way. Could you talk a little bit about your opinion of exercise and just if um, different people need different amounts of exercise depending on their bodies? Um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, the, the absolute truth is that my, I, and I really, really love the point you made about child, you know, what you did as a child, because that's partly why I run. It makes me feel free. And I got into the barefoot running thing because simply because it feels so liberating. It feels almost primal and childlike. And I, and my kids run, they love to run. And, and the reason why I don't even call it exercise in the book, um, the header is movement because ultimately it's about moving your body. And what, what I do, and the reason why I love the fact that my wife who hated running her whole life, but then all of a sudden I, she had the vibrams and she was kind of feeling good about moving, having her feet be free again. And all of a sudden she's like, yeah, I ran to the mailbox today. And I'm talking about, you know, a few hundred feet, like this is not a big thing. And I was like, well, that's, did you that's cool. And she's like, yeah, I just like running. And the next thing you know, the next day she's running a little bit farther and she turns left after the mailbox and goes up the street and she just built built, built. And that's what my book is built on is starting so small that you almost think it's ridiculous, but it just, it gets you there. It gets you started. And then you can build off that. As far as what movement works for what people, it's a, it always for me comes down to balance. It's like exercise can be incredible. But like you said, if you're worried and stressed about not making a class, then clearly that's not serving you. Um, running works for me because it's cheap. I can go out my door trampoline works for me because I can do it in the living room. And when my babies were, I have twins when they were, you know, five months, five months old, we, we didn't have time to go to a gym or even go out the door running. We were busy and exhausted and getting on the trampoline was what we could do. So there's no fixed like, well, if you're five ten and 140 pounds, you need to be exercising. Right. This, that, you'll know. You'll know because you'll be exercising too much and you'll be fatigued and exhausted or you'll be exercising too little and maybe hold on to a little extra weight or feel a little sluggish and all the kinds of things. It's like the more you get in touch with who you are and who you want to be, you'll find your balance. You'll find your what, what works for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like what, again, in the in the ritual podcast when you guys were saying, you know, years ago, lots of years ago, people didn't sit around talking about exercise and food like you and I are right now. You know, they just did it. Like animals, they just do it and it's fine. And that's just how it is. So I think getting back to what we were meant to do and meant to the ways we were meant to move our bodies without even having to think about it. 
that's that's when life can be really cool and you can focus on just being happy and not worried about this kind of stuff. Totally. It's it's like if you think about it as moving your body instead of exercise, exercise has stigma and it has this like, why I need to exercise and that's kind of thing. And it's like if you just get up and turn the music on and dance in your living room for five minutes, that's freaking exercise is as good as anything else. And if that makes you laugh and have fun, then man, I do it. And if and if only, if you only have time for one minute, I would say start with one minute. I mean, that's where I differ. You don't need to go to a gym to be a hundred percent healthy. You don't need to go on a gym to a gym. You don't need to go on a diet. You can do, you can ease your way in ways that give you so much pleasure right out of the shoot. So good. Yes, I'm like fist pumping because I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> So that's kind of, I mean, we're kind of talking about this already right now, and you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times, but one of my favorite things about, about your approach is just how simple getting started can be, and that's something I would really like to go in deep with you on now, on how you would coach someone who is, this is totally new to, it's, um, you know, they're in really kind of stuck in the standard American diet, they come to you and they are pretty stuck in their ways. And how would you coach them to get started if this is completely new? Where would be um, the few most important places to get started? And maybe if you could give us like three or four tactical steps, what would those be? Okay, well, first of all, I would, if they came to me, that's a good sign because I won't work with anybody who is like coerced somehow by a family member or something like that. I just, it doesn't work unless they have decided that they want to be healthier and happier. Once they've made that decision, then that's my opening that I can then work with them. So that's the first thing. So I would establish, I'd say, you know, do you, are you, do you want to be healthier and happier? If they say no, I go, then you're there. Good for you. And I don't care what picture of health that is or happy that is. If they're there, then fantastic. I got no judgment for that. But if they say, yeah, I want to be healthier and happier, then I want to find out from them what they're ready to take on. Because I am the anti-diet guy. I am a nutritionist and I will never say, here's the plan, follow it starting today. What I do is say, you know, here's the, the, the marathon that you're training for. You know, like that's the analogy. Like here's the marathon you're training for. We both know that you're not going to go out the door and run a marathon tomorrow. But what, kind of, what could you start with tomorrow that would be reasonable that you could do every day from here on out? And I small necessary and when i mentioned the jar of the glass of water a few minutes ago i that is not a that i didn't make that up i have advised one of my clients was to start with a glass of water in the morning that, that's where i started my that client because i said everything else that we've talked about adds stress to your life i don't want to add stress to your life this process should be enriching and fun and enlivening you should feel more energy just because of the process so if you can do a glass of water every day then you become somebody who treats yourself well maybe not well enough to be as thin and healthy as you want to be but that's okay because we'll get there later but you become somebody who treats yourself well so i would establish with anybody i work with what how little we do need to go now sometimes people sometimes people come to me with stage four cancer they're ready for a whole bunch of a whole bunch and it's just i have to, and then i go they're like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And that's a, so that's a different conversation. But for most people who are just foreign to it and they kind of know that they don't feel that good, I just make them I make so not stressful for them that they, that they keep on it for the rest of their lives. That's success that a diet cannot deliver. Mm, so good. And, and it really goes back to if it stresses you out, no matter how good it is for you or whatever, it's not good for you anymore because stress is – more unhealthy than anything you could eat, anything you could do. It's the worst thing ever for your body. So I, I love that approach. Totally agree. I mean, the way I look at health, if you, to go back to your original question of what's a picture of health, health yeah. is, is the minimal amount of stress that you can put on your body. For me, food is just one of the things that can stress you out. And and movement is one of the things that can stress you out. And that means too little or too much. And and food the same way. And and I drew I took it into socialization and things like that too. But it is balanced and all those things can be too much or too little and, and you gotta find your balance. You gotta ease your way into it until you hit your stride. Yeah, for sure. So 
So a lot of times I kind of bleed in a little um, anecdotes about me and these um, and these podcasts, and this is kind of a perfect segue to to my next question here. So speaking of stress and things that stress you out, so I recently got really into like the local vor movement and just trying to eat everything local and and you know understanding that the food closest to you know where grown closest to where you live it is better and, and eating in season and blah, 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 and it's all great and whatever. So I'm really into the locavore movement, trying to do it, trying to do it. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat bananas, you know, because I live here in Michigan and I'm not going to, I'm not going to have bananas for, for a while, just kind of see how that goes. And of course I start craving bananas like crazy, like stresses me out, pretty funny stuff. And so then I, you know, I got myself a banana and I like, I was like, stop, this is silly. You know, anything you do that stresses you out is silly. So you have a great Mind Body Green article on the locavore movement. So I would love if you could talk about that a little bit and talk about some problems with the locavore movement. Well, you just hit on it, which is that <laughs> is that you know the, the problem with the locavore thing is it can be very limiting and very stressful. And the fact that the reason I brought it up is because I think people can do two things. One, they can like justify maybe not so healthy habits because they're local, or they can get so locked in the local movement that it that it adds stress to their lives. The fact of the matter is where the food comes from, how far it travels is just one of the effects that food has on the environment. And it turns out actually not one of the larger effects of the carbon footprint of food production. What mostly part of the environment is the production itself of food. And that goes for vegan and non-vegan. It goes for processed plants and it goes for animals too. It's a very big drain on the environment. So the argument I made in the, in the, um, in the article is it's still the closer you get to whole plants, the more environmentally friendly you get, no matter where they come from. And of course, if you can get those local, even better. But to make local prohibitive to you to eat a banana, to me, is missing the point because there's also, like everything else, a much bigger picture. Katie, who is healthy and happy, has a to me has a much greater effect in a positive way on the world than somebody who's. Katie, who's miserable because she can't have a banana because it doesn't come from Michigan. So, you know, it's like, how do you affect your family? Look at your what you're doing with your website, how you're connecting to people. Well, part of that is you feeling good enough to put yourself out in the world that way. And I think it's much more profound for you to take care of yourself no matter where that food comes from. And so that's that's the argument I made in that in that article. It's like, let's not get hung up on this, guys. Like, if you're eating healthy food and taking care of your body, you're going to need less medicine, potentially, less pharmaceuticals, potentially those have environmental effects like you're 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 gonna be okay just because it travels outside 100 miles yes amazing i can throw a banana in my green smoothie tomorrow things are good <laughs> sid told me it's okay <laughs> if sid told you it's okay it's totally okay <laughs> i love that i love that um cool cool so i would love to talk a little bit about skin health and i was wondering if you had um some ways to take care of your skin internally and some foods that you would recommend um, for people wanting to really take care of their skin from the inside out. I do, and I would tell you that you just made you know, my, my, my ultimate point with this is that skin care does come from the inside out. And um, you know, you'll actually notice, I will notice, that the more unhealthy people are on the inside, the more products they have to use. And, and I always take that into consideration. People go, oh, it's really good to eat healthy. Well, when you take into consideration shampoos and, and, and lotions and skin you know, cleansers and all these kinds of things that you, that you don't need when you take care of your body from the inside, it's it's actually monetarily kind of cool. But with that said, um, what we're looking at when we look at skin care, for the most part, for me, is like free radical damage. It's the breakdown on the inside of the body. So the plants that, the, sorry, the foods that have antioxidants, the foods that help your body deal with that damage are whole plants. Um, fruit, by the way, is, I just can't believe how little fruit people eat. And it's shocking to me because fruit is so incredibly healthy and what everyone says is but what about the sugar and it's like well you know for me i like to educate people that i work with sugar is different in a bag that you spoon out in your coffee than in the context of an orange that has 
that has literally thousands of phytochemicals and also antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and all these amazing things and fiber that slows the way it, it, it gets absorbed into your system. All these incredible things. We call it sugar like it's table sugar. Different animal. So um, taking care of your body is to put also hydrating things. We, we I'm not necessarily a raw foodist because a lot of raw foodists will eat things that are dehydrated, dehydrated. Even though they're raw, they're dehydrated under you know 118 degrees. But so the enzymes are intact, the water is gone. That's what dehydrating is. So when you focus less on whether it's raw and more on the water content of food, then you're talking about hydration of your skin and you're talking about hydration and in your hair, your nail, every, all the things that we aesthetically associate with health can be achieved. My wife is 44 years old. I swear to God, she looks better than she did when she was 25. People cannot believe her skin, how healthy her skin is. She works, wears no makeup, uses no product. Here's what she puts on her skin, raw coconut oil. That's it. And, and I do advocate that if you can't eat it, don't put it on your skin. Because if we, we, what we do is we go, oh, I'll eat really well, but then I'm going to put all these chemicals and additives and all this junk on our skin. Well, where does it go? It goes in your body. It goes through your skin. It goes in your body, too. So it, it, it's uh, part of that whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so I would love to get into the paleo-vegan conversation a little bit here. I, again, love your Mind Body Green post on that. And... I really loved the perspective you took about that they agree more than they disagree. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, you know, I, I even love, I'm loathe to even use the term vegan just in my own practice. I am personally plant-based, but I have clients that aren't, and they're because that's their, that they're in that, they're at that place in their trek toward health. And I don't, I don't, I focus less on taking things away than I do on adding things in. Um, the paleo-vegan thing is kind of a battle that's going on, and I think it's totally ridiculous, and I think it's uh, missing the point. The point is that it's not about the labels or the diets. The point is to ask yourself, what is it that we're trying to achieve when we embark on a path of health, whether it's a diet or anything? Let's get through the labels and say, I'm trying to feel better. I'm trying to have more energy. I'm trying to be lighter on the environment. I'm trying to treat animals well. You know, I'm trying to do all these are the values that, I'm, that, that are guiding the actions that I'm taking. Let's talk about the actual values because if you talk about the actual values, true paleo and vegan really aren't that different. Paleo does advocate for whole plants over, over processed plants. It does advocate for you know, things like not, no gluten, no dairy, because they're not natural to our species, which I totally agree, vegans too. Now, of course, I mean, the article, I say there's really unhealthy paleo people because they've taken that whole uh, meat thing through the craziness where they're eating meat three times a day and they're getting it from, I call them Safeway paleos. Well, paleos hunted for their food. They moved their bodies. So it's a bigger picture than a diet. And vegans too, you can get these vegans are doing fake meat and fake cheese that's full of junk food. It's, you know, do I eat tofurkey sausage once in a while? Yeah, about twice a year because it's junk food. I, it's junk food. I, don't, no, I would never argue that just because it's vegan, it's healthy by any stretch of the imagination. Beer is vegan for crying out loud. So, right. you know, so it's French like, fries. Yeah, right? So let's keep our eye on the ball. What is it we're really trying to do? And then, and then understand that in the paleo model, for instance, if everybody ate wild animals when they ate animals and they ate them the way that mostly the paleo model really was, which is that if we didn't have access to whole plants, we'd get the next best calorie source, which would be animals. That's what you and I would do if we live right now in the wild and we didn't have access to whole plants or, we, or it snowed or something. We would kill an animal. That's what we would do. But that animal wouldn't be part of a factory farming situation that is so draining on the environment and so brutal. And we wouldn't, and so it would be a lot less damaging. And so the the whole thing of like paleo is horrible. Like no, it's not. If you really muddled yourself after the paleo and hunted wild animals um, that are free and running around and much healthier, your body would be healthier from eating those animals, and you would be connecting to the food that you're putting in your body. I think it's a great model. Personally, I have access to whole plants, and so I go to the animals, and I don't want to 
that's not a violence that I want in my own life, but that's a personal choice for me. Whatever you're comfortable with, you should make for yourself. But I think the connection to the values is actually very similar between the two camps and an argument between them is totally not fruitful or productive in terms of what is really trying to be achieved, which is to increase health and happiness. Mm, I love that. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, staying on that a little bit, what's your, what are your kind of thoughts on, on grains to digestion and um, different people and how they can tolerate grains and if it's something that you, how you kind of use that conversation when talking with your clients? So the thing about grains and dairy, by the way, so a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm gluten-free, but they'll sleep dairy. And for me, they go hand in hand. They're just two things. Two things that got introduced to our species very, very recently in terms of our evolution. So my belief is that human beings are intolerant to gluten-bearing grains and to dairy. Um, they're intolerant. We have we have learned, well, I'll just, we haven't adapted. I'll put it that way. We have not adapted. We, we have some of us have learned to tolerate those two things to a certain extent. Some people have allergies where they literally can't have any dairy or they can't have any gluten-bearing grains like they're, they're full on. But I think it's, it's a matter of degrees. Um, I think all of us to a certain extent have not adapted to those two things. And I think that they, cause, they can cause discomfort in a variety of ways. The thing that I take into account when I discuss dairy and gluten is stress. I always, for me, it always comes down to stress because one of the body's stress responses is to slow down the digestion. That's an evolutionary um, effect of stress on our bodies. When we were in a stressful situation, like a fight or flight situation, we would stop digesting. Digesting takes a whole bunch of energy, and if we need to survive, we're not going to expend that energy digesting. We're going to do what we need to do to get away from the lion or whatever it is that we're, that is, that we're confronted with. In the modern world, people who live stressful lives don't digest well. So they are they oftentimes be more susceptible to intolerances with regards to gluten and dairy, which are already very difficult to digest. So it's like they're already hard to digest and you're super stressed, so that's not a good match. So some people can handle it better. For me, I was reading so much about gluten. I was like, this is crazy. What is this? And I kept reading and reading and reading. Finally, I thought, I'm going to give up gluten. I just want to see what it's like. I never would have told anybody that I had an, itch, that I had an issue with gluten at all. But I thought, just see what happens. Without changing any of my movement or my diet, my stomach, which had a little teeny little pooch on it that I couldn't get rid of, but I didn't change any movement. I just gave up gluten. My stomach went completely fat, flat. So I completely flat. And I thought, there it is. There was that little bit of stress left on my body that I removed, and my body just hit that perfect balance, and I've never had a gut sense. I know I have a perfectly flat stomach at 45. Wow, cool. That's super great info on all of that. So this is probably something that you have to deal with in your life as a coach, but I think um, talking to people who live in, in very different um, lifestyles, and I think we all kind of have to do this to some point. We all can, are kind of coaches in the sense of our family members and our friends around us who may not think and, and eat like us. And I know this is something that I really struggle with um, in my life. So I would love your advice on some of this. So you, we know we can't change how people think or act as much as we may want to, and we can't con control what they actually do. But how do you suggest handling your stress around the people in your life not making the same choices around food and lifestyle as you are and trying to teach them by leading by example and not being preachy, but are, do you have any tips for letting go of the stress on you and not letting it knock you down when you see these people you love and you know how happy you can be and you know how good you can feel and you just want that for them too? How do you not let their unwillingness to implement some of these things affect you and bring you down as well? Well, the fact of the matter is sometimes it does affect me and bring me down. And that's just a reality and something I have to be, you know, like I always tell people when I, you know, do my podcasts and in my talks, it's like, I am not, you know, I'm in my own track. And there's things that I battle with. I still struggle with food, you know, almost on a daily basis. And so um, when I say that, you know, it does get me down sometimes, I don't have all the answers. Well, I think I have the answer to this, but I'm learning how to, how to do the things that I, that I think are going to work. 
And one of the things that's really frustrating for people when I talk about this, because I talk about this all the time, especially because sometimes I'll have like a wife or a husband come to me, but the spouse doesn't want anything to do with changing. And there's a, almost like a, a dig in the heels. I'm like, I, well, you can do it, but I'm not doing it. And then they're just coming to me and they're like, well, how do I get my wife to do this? And it's like, no, 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 we're not even there yet. We're not even, we never even be there. Like, this is about you. And it's frustrating because they want they see this person they love. They want to ch- change them because they know or they think they know the answer to what will help them. And a fact of the matter is th- – I heard this saying once. I can't remember who said it. But is leading by example isn't one way to influence people. It's the only way to influence people. And it's, it literally mm-hmm. is, it is that. Like if you're frustrated, I would say go deeper with yourself. Go deeper with yourself. Ask yourself, why are you frustrated about somebody else? Are you where you need to be? Are, is there more that you can do to your, for yourself, for your own health and happiness? The more that people say, and I do this with parents too, with kids, how to get my kids to eat better. I go, you eat better. You, you set the example. You model how you want to be as best as you can. Your child will learn more from your actions than anything you ever tell them. And the same goes for your family members and everything else. As much as it like told me when I see a family member or a friend, I'm like, for the love of God, if you could just listen to me, I could totally help you. Right. I can, you know, I can. I mean, yes, you could say, hey, I mean, I just talked to a woman the other day who got diagnosed with something. I said, if you want to talk, call me. You know, let me know. I'll totally help you if you want to talk. But that got to leave it there because if I come any deeper than that, she's going to be like putting up walls, and I don't want to do that. I, I mean, ultimately. Like with a vegan paleo thing, it's like, what are you really trying to do? You're really trying to help this person. So you have to say, it's not about hoisting any kind of beliefs on them. And it's not about anything else other than really trying to help them. So you have to decide what is the best way to do that. Sometimes it's just being there to care for them and letting them know that you do care about them and that you're worried about them. I can see, I, I think that's a good thing. If you have a parent who's severely overweight, instead of saying, here's what you should do, here's what you should do, you should say, look, I'm worried about your level of health and I want you to know that I love you and I want you to know that I want you around for as long as possible. If you ever need help, then I want you to come to me and I'm, I'm there to help you or do whatever it takes to get you healthy if, you, if that's a choice you decide to make for yourself. But you got to put it on them and I would just leave it, at, I would leave it at there every time. Mm, yeah. Great advice, great advice, and it it can be really hard. So I think it's it's really good for people to hear, especially in this in this health world that you know no matter how far you're into it, you you tend to have a lot of friends who are like you and eat like you, and everybody you know is you know drinking kombucha and green juice and hanging out in this world. And then you forget, you know, there are people that that that's not the norm and that is still really funky, and and to show people leading by example, but also, you know, backing off and and letting them come to you, I think is really, really sound grounded advice that everybody kind of needs to hear. Totally agree. I I actually don't like most of my friends really aren't into this stuff. So I'm kind of not in the, I think more in LA was in Los Angeles was their kind of like that world of whole foodie kind of whole foods kind of, you know, hipster thing. But up here, I'm really, we're the only plant-based family, period. I don't have any friends that are doing this, and, and um, it's, you know, we just kind of learn to negotiate that world. Yeah, well, you just got to come to Detroit. It's the same way here, and we can hang out. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll get the next plane on, and you can come visit me at the Stanford Inn. Perfect, perfect. So, so, so thinking kind of about that and how we were talking about, you know, that, that frustration, talking a little bit more about that, um, with, with so much wrong with our health system and our food system and, and things happening with, with the environment, how do we not focus on that and just focus on the positive and not let that get you down? I loved some advice you gave about that, in the, again, in the Ritual podcast, and I'd love if you could talk about your perspective on that because I thought it was really cool. Well, I, I think in, the, in Rich's podcast, I can't remember because it was you know, a few months ago, but um, but one, I interviewed uh, Gene Bauer once, and he's, he heads up Farm Sanctuary. It's uh, like the largest you know, animal rescue yeah. kind of thing. And I asked him that question. This is where my book had just come out. I did this kind of blog talk radio series with, with different people. And I interviewed him. I said, how do you get up in the morning knowing that while you've done a bunch of stuff, there's still every day you get up, there's just this horrific stuff going on in the world, you know, stuff that you're fighting against but that you, is so much bigger than you. How do you negotiate that? And he goes, well – 
I, if I thought about all that day to day, I probably wouldn't get out of bed. And I have to think about the effect that I have made. And I have to think about the things that I am doing. And so it is a day-to-day struggle. And it is part of what I do every day. And it's frustrating for me to see kids, especially I'm very sensitive to kids. I see kids, you know, supremely overweight. I see type of diabetes all the time. I see, you know, it's just being sick, people being unhappy because they're not happy in their bodies. Um, and it is frustrating, but then, and this is why it's good to have a good partner, you know, because my wife is like, think about all the people that you've affected, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes it does, it does get me down, but she's like, you know, your family, you know, has changed a lot of your family, you know, a lot of my family members have changed, not maybe at the level that, where I am, but who cares? They, they've made adjustments and found their own balance. And I think that's amazing. And so, um, you just have to remind yourself what, what you are doing and then, and then also come back to how happy and healthy you are and, and just keep coming back to that and keep that process going. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, can, it can be rough. Like, I mean, for instance, here where I live, you know, I'm, I'm kind of still the weirdo and it's kind of still very, very different. And, and it's focusing on I, – I love what you said there because I actually find that actually super inspiring thinking – well, that means there's so much work for me to do here and there's so much for me to inspire and so much change and that can be overwhelming but if you focus on the good stuff, it can feel actually really, really cool and, and a lot of fun. Well, and it, you know, like the thing is like, you know, your whole website, you know, I look around it and speaking of, you know, beautiful design, it's very beautiful and inviting. It's like this, I just wanted to just hang there, you know, which is really cool. Um, but just that action that you took to put that, put your, you know, put your ass out there in the world is <laughs> is, is very empowering and very, um, it's just inspiring. I mean, it's inspiring. And so you, you've you've taken this thing and just and just decided to put it out there, and that's just got to make you. I hope makes you feel really good, and that's a good thing because the better you feel, the more you'll do, and the more people you'll eventually reach. And I think that that's it. All starts with each of us as individuals. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. Um, so and one more question I have for you before we get into kind of some more personal stuff. But talking about, about health and any conversation around health really um, and the body, it really comes down to the gut, right? And it all kind of stems from there. So when thinking about gut health and digestion issues for people dealing with maybe leaky gut or issues surrounding that, what kind of advice would you give to clients dealing with those types of issues? Um, you know, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it, again, it all comes down to stress. So stress can come from uh, nutrient food. And in this country, we get plenty of calories. So we're not starving by any stretch of the imagination. We get more calories, which are protein, fat, and carbohydrate than, than we can ever, ever, ever want or need. But what we're lacking in our food are the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants and fiber. We're eating food that is what I call more gas-oriented. It's what our bodies burn for energy, but it's lacking the oil. And I don't mean olive oil. I mean oil like in a car where it keeps the machine running well. So when you eat food like a Big Mac that has plenty of calories in it but nothing that helps the machine run well, it's, it's stressful. Your body has to work harder to to process those calories. It's like putting gas in a car but no oil. That car would burn up. I don't care how well the car is designed. So that's stress. Stress weakens the immune system. Stress upsets the balance of the bacteria in your gut. We are, we are bags of bacteria, and we have a certain balance that we can achieve that helps us negotiate the world in a, in a healthy way or not, depending on how much we help or hurt our bodies to do what they're designed to do, I argue, which is to be healthy and happy. So stress of any kind. So that's the food stress. But again, you could, eat, you could be eating really well, but being really stressed out by what you're eating, not eating, and the diet and this and that, and that's going to upset your digestion. You could be exercising too much or too little. You could be not attending to the things in your life that are causing you conflict, relationships that aren't benefiting you. They can cause you stress. That can weaken your immune system, weaken your digestion. So you you have to look at the whole picture of the human, of the human being, of your whole body, and say, you know, yeah, it all starts with, in a sense, it all starts with your gut because I always argue that food is one of the things, but it's the main thing, it's the biggest thing that affects our health because the machine of your body works well when it has the tools it needs to 
do its job. And it's going to figure out a way to do its job no matter what. So we're, we can either help it do its job by minimizing stress in all areas of our lives and giving ourselves the tools with food, or we can hinder the job, you know, get in the way of the job that the body's doing, and it's going to have to work that much harder to do it. And so that is where the gut happens is, is that stress is, you know, acid forming foods, all the things that we flood our bodies with, and it really does upset the gut balance. And that becoming, you're going to hear a lot more about microbiome and good bacteria. Animals don't think about that. They, they eat food that's totally natural to them, and they don't have to think about, am I eating the right balance and I'm taking probiotics? They're eating food that has soil particles on it. That's where we would get the bacteria. We would be in a right, nice little balance, and we've just gotten totally unnatural in the world, and, and we're suffering as a result. Mm, love that. Really, really great advice. Cool. So we really dive, dove in deep to a lot of cool topics, and now I want to get personal with you. Are you ready for it? Heck Yeah. Okay, cool. So this is like my favorite question to ask people because I really think it gives a nice glimpse into their daily lives. So could you walk us through your morning routine and maybe like the first three things you do when you get up in the morning and kind of the specifics of how you start your day and why that's important to how the rest of your day goes? Sure. So um, again, to remind you, I have, you know, my wife and I have three kids. So sometimes, you know, getting up in the morning is is, you know, just being with the kids. And sometimes we get up before they do because we got to get them ready for school. But regardless of, of, of that, we get up and, um, uh, I'll be honest, first thing is on the espresso machine. And I can't tell you how healthy espresso is now. It's not helping at all. And so it's one of those treats, everybody, uh, that I love. But I flip on the machine and I pour out my wife uh, and me. We, we pour out, I pour out water for us. Um, and so I pour a big jar of water for me and a big jar of water for her. Once in a while, I do take probiotic. I don't take them every day, but I take them once in a while. I do take them on an empty stomach. So first thing in the morning is I'll do that. I'll give her a glass of water and one for me. And I do that. Sometimes I take vitamin D if, um, if I haven't been in the sun. The only supplements I take, just so everybody knows, are vitamin D and B12. Those are the only two things. I take B12 every day and I take D, like I said, when I'm not in the sun. So if I'm running in the sun with short sleeve, sure, I won't take a D that day. Um, so that's what I do. I pour that in out. I start making a smoothie. So we all in the morning have a big fruit smoothie. So I fill up my Vitamix with water. Uh, about half full, and I throw in a, a ton of fruit, apples, pears, whatever I got, bananas, uh, berries, a little mango steam powder in there. I blend up an entire smooth uh, blender full, and I pour that out for the whole family. And then I basically get ready for work. And usually I run, I drop the kids up at school, and then I go for my run. And then I go to the wellness center, and I, and I you know, take a shower there and get dressed for work. And so that's, that's pretty much what I do most mornings. I just get up and make a big smoothie, pour that out. My wife makes lunches, and, um, and we go on our way. Nice. That sounds really fun. So um, now I'd love it if you could walk us through your evening rituals and maybe talk about some of your favorite ways to relax and wind down after a long day. Well, so, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, I'm just busy. So I'm doing, I get home from the wellness center and I'm doing other stuff, you know, I have my own podcast. So I'm, so oftentimes I'm doing, you know, some, a little bit of work like that. And I, the first thing I do when I get home is hang out with my kids. And that's just because, um, I really love being with them and it's, and it is totally a pleasure for me to be with them. So I come home and usually out with dinner. They eat before my wife and, and me eat, um, uh, they have whatever we make them, you know, whatever, and then they go to, we get, they get in bed around 7 or 7.30, then my wife and I usually eat together, so that's kind of time to, to hang and, and be with each other, you know, without the kids, which it gets, it's all balanced as much as I love being with them. We need a little adult time, too, for sure. And so um, usually I'm just making that dinner, and my wife's finishing up her work, and then we put together most days a uh, big old salad, and I mean big, like bigger than people would probably even imagine, and um Usually on the weekends, you know, we have a movie night as a family, like Saturday night, we'll have a special dinner and we'll all watch a movie together, you know. And so, you know, what I do most of the time during the week is clearly not what I do on the weekends. But yeah, so usually it's getting home and just kind of hanging out with the kids until they're getting into bed and then spending time with my wife. Nice, nice. Sounds really cool. So, um, I want to wrap up with some quick fire questions, but before that, I have, um, one final question for you. Um, 
So what are you doing in your life right now that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyways? How are you challenging yourself right now? And I'd love to know what's next for you. Um, what I'm doing right now, what I'm afraid of, and this the fear is a big one for me. And I started reading books early, early on on fear when I first started my practice because I noticed early on that before I even had my you know approach that I have now, that fear was such a driving factor in in people even making changes in their lives. And and clearly the fear that I had about quitting my job way back when to become a full time actor was was a turning point for me. It was not trying to figure out how not to be afraid. It was trying to figure out how to still act um, in line with who I wanted to be in spite of that fear. Mm. And so and so there's part of me like with my podcast and my book, even putting my book out and you know, when I was a full time musician like playing live and we were touring and, and things like that, I had a little bit of stage fright. So almost nightly, you know, I'd be on tour somewhere in Europe and it'd be, be like this moment of like I really should be loving this, but I kind of don't really want to go on stage right now. But it was just that thing of like, but I really do. I do, and it's, it's something that I want to do, and it makes me, in the big picture, really, really happy. And so, yes, in this moment, I'm a little afraid, and I would sort of walk on stage in spite of that. So now it's like putting myself out there um, in the world. Also, you know how it is. Like, you put yourself out in the world, you're going to get people who come back at you like in a really negative way. Yes. The, the term now is like haters, you know, like they exist. You know? <laughs> and, I, and I put out something that I think is pretty innocuous. Somebody's got a bone to pick about it. You know, I'm like, gee, that's really that. that that's what's making you angry is. Uh, and so um, part of it is just the fear of that I have around, you know, my work and, and getting out there and, and starting to speak more and getting asked to, you know, do events and things like that. And it's, it's, it's kind of uncharted territory for me. I mean, I was comfortable in the music world and the acting world, but clearly as a, as a health practitioner, I never fashioned myself to ever be what I am today. And it's sort of this weird thing of like, well, now I got to kind of keep going. Like I can't turn back now. So there's definitely a fear about that for sure. Nice, nice, cool. Well, that's really, it's inspiring to hear that, you know, someone doing such great work that this fear has come up for everybody, and I think people can really relate to that, and, and it it's never hurts to hear, you know? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just another, I'm just a guy, you know, like, at the end of the day, I'm dealing with the exact same things, and that goes, like I said, for food and everything else, that I'm, I'm a, I have fear around the marathon I'm doing, like, I don't know if I can do it, and, and I have this pressure, and it's something that I have enjoyed the process, but clearly, like, I'm nervous about it, I don't know how it's going to turn out, and if I'm going to, you know, hit the goal that I want to hit, and all these kinds of things around it, I'm dealing, listening to all those messages in my mind that come up, so it's, it's a struggle every day. Yeah, don't listen to them. It's going to be great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's wrap with some quick fire questions. So just say like the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Oh my God, okay. Okay. Favorite Go. color? Dark green. Favorite moment of 2013? That's a big one. <laughs> oh my God, of 2013. Oh, I'm coming on. Nice. Um, favorite health ritual? Uh, big salad. Favorite day of the week? Saturday. Favorite hour of the day? 8 p.m. Favorite winter vegetable? Oh, my God. Is kale a winter vegetable? Yeah, why not? Who cares okay, about sure. local? We, yeah. we already got over that. So. <laughs> Favorite fruit? Uh, banana. Me too. I know. <laughs> Favorite way to relax? Watch a movie. Favorite meal you've eaten recently? Um, favorite meal? Oh, my wife uh, made these amazing uh, lasagnas for her birthday. She wanted to make a big lasagna party. So she made these incredible sweet potato bechamel lasagna that was to die for. Oh, my gosh. Yum. I wish I'd come over. That sounds great. Awesome. <laughs> favorite, or not favorite. Well, I guess it would be your favorite. A superhero power, superhero power that you would like to have for a day. Superpower that I like to have for a day. Oh my god! Um, I guess flying. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. What's your favorite superfood? Superfood would probably be chia seeds. Yeah, oh, they're so good. I heard that they help with um, lucid dreaming. 
So I like uh-huh. to have um, chia seeds in the evening, and I've been like trying it out. And I don't know How if I'm funny. having lucid dreaming, but I love I, chia I, pudding. So that's very funny. Yeah, I do like green drink with, with chia, but the other one would would be hemp. I love hemp seeds too. Yeah, so good. Favorite song? Um, probably North Dakota by I Love It. Favorite movie? Uh, Indian Runner, directed by Sean Penn. Favorite book? Uh, the Sports Writer by Richard Ford. Nice. Where would you like to see holistic health and wellness in, say, 10 years? Um, where there's not, a, not another diet spoken of, that we're all trying to put the best stuff we can in our bodies and move our bodies the best we can. Nice. What's the biggest health misconception you're always clearing up for people? That protein is the most important nutrient. Nice. And then the last question I have for you, as you know, the name of my blog and the name of this podcast is the Wellness Wonderland Radio. So if you had to just pick one or two lines that really would really illustrate living in a wellness wonderland, what would you say? Um, Well, a place where people take care of themselves first so that they, they come into the world happy and healthy and that's how they relate to everybody else in that wonderland. Mm, amazing. Sid, thank you so much. This has been amazing and so much fun to get to know you. I'd love it if you could tell everybody where they can find you and a little bit about your podcast and, um, and anything else that you'd like to share. I will, but I want to thank you first because it was just so fun to, uh, to hang out with you. And I, like I said, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, just blowing smoke. I loved your website and, and everything you're doing. And, I, and if there's anything I can do to help promote what you do, just you just let me know. Um, people can find me my my private uh, practice. I work with people all over the country. Um, is transitioningtohealth.net. I'm on Twitter at Sid Garza Hillman. I'm on Facebook, Transitioning to Health, and my, my podcast is called The Approaching the Natural Podcast, and um, I do have the Wellness Center at the Stanford Inn, and that's stanfordinn.com or livingwellmendocino.com. That's the actual wellness uh, website, so that's where anybody can find me. Amazing. Cool. Well, we will have all of those links below and links to Sid's Twitter, and we will be tweeting at him, and there's so many tweetable nuggets and quotes from this podcast, so we will tweet all of those. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Sid, for being here, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook. So we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.